Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELAC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. I don't even care about Thursday night. I care about Tuesday and Wednesday night in this city, Jeff. Welcome to Red October. Thank you for taking So we're blowing off Thursday night football? Couldn't care. If you think that I'm going to waste any time asking you about the Bears and the Commanders on Thursday night after what we saw in the city this week, you're out of your mind. Here, Here's the irony. There, there should have been baseball to talk about on Thursday night, but... All of the teams were too rude to just go out and two get two O series. Yeah, seriously. Like nobody made it a series. Sweeps all around. Uh we'll get to the Phillies in just a second. I do have to say. Um the Raiders eliminated the Rays. Your concern level over your bet still existing? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Rangers are now gonna have to play a team that actually has fans. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes if they actually have to go somewhere where there's fans booing them. Well, uh yeah, right. The the uh, attendance was so low that if you combine the attendance for the Rays for game one and game two, it was lower than the attendance for all of the game ones for every other series. It, I also how- read I also read somewhere that the game one attendance for the Rays was the lowest for a playoff game since nineteen nineteen. Anywhere? It's, a, it's embarrassing. How could that be? I don't know. Uh, baseball's got to do something. I don't really care about it right now. They are doing something. They're building them a brand new stadium. It looks really nice. I care about the atmosphere we had here. Game one. You and I were both at game one. Were you at game mm-hmm. two or did you watch game two? No, I did not go to game two. <clears throat> All right. So I didn't get to hear the commentary game one. I got to like be in the atmosphere, which for me, I haven't done in past years. I know you've gone. So I got to finally experience just how loud it is. But game two, the commentary on just how loud it is, like uh, there was one, there are home field advantages, David Cohen said, and then there's Philadelphia. This is a different level. The fans arrive early and stay late. I thought it was the best way to describe the scene that was down there from the carnival outside to the celebration from the first pitch in each game, whether it was Reese Hoskins or Jamie Moyer and his overalls out there uh, to the way that the games went. It was a blast. So you're asking what it was like on TV. I wasn't there for, I was there, so obviously I didn't get to, but I will tell you that a friend of mine from Boston who was watching the game sent me the following text. On TV, they just described the crowd as relentless. It it is. And it's relentless throughout the game. Mm -hmm. It's not like they will stand at the appropriate times. It's it's very interesting to watch it, and it's really interesting to watch, again, same as last season, the other managers and players and broadcasters and media who come in to see it describe it. Uh, there was a uh, broadcaster on ESPN who described it as an SEC football game atmosphere. That's the type of crowd that you had down there. The players talked about it, and look, the players backed it up. We had our questions about Aaron Nola. Tom Hausnick said, do not worry. He will be fine. He was fine. Uh, between the two of them, 13 and two-thirds, giving up just eight hits, one run, 11 strikeouts, and one walk. You could not ask for anything more from your two starting pitchers. And and Bryson Stott hitting a grand slam. That Did you get like wow. instant Shane Victorino thoughts as soon as the grand slam happened? In, anytime there's a grand slam in the playoffs, which is so rare, you have to think of that moment in 2008. It was just incredible. So he said he doesn't remember a post game, but did you see the bat spike? He like wait, got, wait, who who doesn't remember? Bryson Stott Bryson doesn't Stott. Oh, remember. Stott. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't remember like the bat spike and and but 
Did you see the bat spike? We got like a Reese Hoskins type bat spike. Yeah. There. Well, you know, I thought, you know, the, the Phillies sometimes frustrate me with what they do and the way that they honor people. I mean, I've talked for a long time about how they have not honored Bill Giles in the way that they should, but they did it right by bringing out Reese Hoskins to throw out the first pitch in the first game. It was so loud. It, it, was, it was a great touch, it, you know, throwing to Schwarber. It, the whole thing was just, it was a moment. And I don't know if you and it saw set the tone. I don't know if you saw afterwards the celebration after they won game two. They had him on FaceTime in the locker room because he reported to Clearwater to try to be ready if they make it on to pitch it in a World Series, which they keep well, talking about. Yeah, but the problem with that is, is my understanding is the only reason that Orion Kirkering is allowed on the roster is because of Reese Hoskins being injured. You mean uh, Orion Kirkering, who threw nine pitches to get three outs, eight of Correct. which were strikes? So, so if if and I I read on ESPN before the series started that he could be one of the breakout stars of the playoffs. Let's. So if if he continues with that. I do, if it's true that the only way that he can remain on a roster for each round is by Hoskins being out, do you risk removing him when the Phillies have a suspect bullpen right now anyway? Because the whole thing with Kimbrell again blew my mind in game. We will talk more Absolutely about... Absolutely blew my mind and made me want to pull my hair out. I will let you get more time with that, but we have to bring on our man. The Sixers are out at training camp in Colorado. Let's shift gears from our baseball talk to some basketball off the court, on the court. Keith Pompey joins us to break it all down. Keith, hope you're doing well in the altitude out there, man. Yeah, man, let me tell you this. The first day I was like, dang, I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> oh, I'm out of shape. And I'm like, oh, I'm... I'm in Colorado. I feel I feel bad, but I feel good because it's not a health issue. It's just that, you know. Is is that a reason that they went out there? Like people are wondering why did the Sixers decide they have this beautiful facility in Camden? Why go out to Fort Collins, Colorado? Is it because the the altitude that it gives them some sort of training advantage? What's the point? I mean, it, it could be a little bit of that, but for the most part, really, is you know, Nick Nurse when he was at and um in Toronto, they always had remote training camps. Now, that was just something that they did, and he felt like it became a time where they could bond with teammates, they could get away. But Colorado, yeah, you're right. It does help that they go there. But the problem is, it's like some people say you, you adjust, right? You do this, you do that. I mean, you are going to get a workout in. But it, it, there was a joke at one point saying, yeah, you know, it's going to help us when we come back here. And it's like, well, dude, you come back in January, <laughs> like one game. So it's like, you're going to lose all that. But a, a lot of it has to do with, you know, what Nick Nurse used to do. And if you think about it, um, you know, Doc Rivers did it last year. You know, um, Doc, um, before that, uh, Brett Brown had it a couple of years in Galloway Township. Now, again, that's still in South Jersey. Right. But, you know, they, they try to get them away to do that team bond. Well, being out in Colorado did give them the chance to to have more of what seemed like a motivational meeting with uh, Deion Sanders out there. What was the take of some of the players getting to talk a little bit with Coach Prime? You know, I think they liked it. You know, the thing about Deion, you know, um, you know, love him or hate him. You know, he is, uh, you know, a, a, I guess a polarizing person. You can you can describe him as that. Um, uh uh, I, I think uh, even he's the type of player that I would say, not, not just some people may describe him as polarizing because of you know the way he is, 
but but I, I think that Dion, when you have pro athletes, right? Um, they all like for the they look at Dion as like a a, a six year old would look at um Joel and B. You know, they're all like, Oh my gosh, that's Dion Sanders. And the thing is, the thing about Dion is I, I think he's such a straight shooter. He has the confidence to say whatever he wants. And I, I think guys like talking to him. And and I think that it's one of those things where he'll be critical of Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid was like, well, maybe like, man, Dion said this, or maybe it might be true or something like that. You know, you know what I mean? I just feel like a lot of guys, they have a lot of love and respect for him. And and let's face it, let, 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 if we're going to be real, you know, Boulder, Colorado seems to be the happening place right now. You know, everyone wants to say they got to see Coach Prime or they got to talk to Coach Prime, right? You know, NBA players have been going there uh, recently. NFL for, Hall of Famers and they, um, have been going there. And I think, like, you know, when you go to – when you come to Colorado now, especially if you're a professional athlete, that's like the bucket list thing to do. You know, Keith, you've talked on your own podcast about how Dion, as part of his message to the Sixers, was about tuning out the noise and and, and not not allowing distractions, basically. Mm-hmm. The, the Sixers have the biggest distraction in the NBA right now in James Harden. Do you think that any of the message from Dion is going to change the way that they all react to Harden? Yeah. I, and yes and no. Um, and, and the reason why I say yes and no is because um, I think that it reinforces things, right? From what he said, I, I think that like Nick Nurse is probably saying, "Look, y'all, this is a big, the big season. You know, we can't let any distractions and um, hinder us from our ultimate goal. We have to go out there and focus. And if something is negative, we just can't." We, we, we just got to cut it out, like, you know, basically do away with it. And I think that going there, listening to Dion saying the things that he said, you know, basically repeating it, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it, it, it kind of reinforces it, right? I do, reinforces it. But at the same time, you look at it and you say, you know, you guys are grown, man. You got to do what you got to do. And, and sometimes there are going to be certain players who are going to who are going to get frustrated? Who are going to get upset, or or who are going to possibly like say, "Hey, I'm I am going to worry about it," right? So, but to me, when you when the things that we talked about, Dion, in regards to um, you know Dion being a guy that a lot of people look up to, a, a guy who's a co- coach, like when I listened to everything that Dion said, not just about um, James Harden, which is. I, I l- listen to it, and it's kind of like a coach speaking. It's kind of like he got in the room with Nick Nurse 30 minutes before and said, okay, what point you want me to touch on? And it's it's one of those things where, you know, we're all parents. You know how it is. We'll tell our kids something, and especially if it's about sports, and they think we don't know, we don't have a clue. But then you get somebody else to say it who's a coach who says the same exact thing, and they listen like, oh, all right, all right. All right, you and and they say, hey, such and such gave me advice, and you just snicker because you told them to tell, uh, you know, your your child something. So that, that's how it is. I think that it will have a little bit of an impact in regards to reinforcing things for 
uh, multiple players. Um, but I don't know if it's going to reinforce things for all the players. Yeah, I mean, I mean, briefly, you are seeing whatever everybody wants to think of Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is at least practicing what he preaches. He brought in, the, I believe, the top cornerback in the country this year as a freshman and hasn't played him, essentially. And when he was asked why he's not playing him, part of it was, we only play, play people who come to practice. And, and he went through the whole thing about coming to meetings and things like that. So he's a guy who's not much older than the older Sixers players and can still be considered a peer in that regard and can deliver that message. The problem is, I don't see how the Sixers, you know, as you've talked about, a lot of the Sixers players are buddies with Harden. So at some point, does the message seep in of, hey, guys, you guys are professionals here. You all have a common goal to win a championship, except apparently James Harden, who has a common, has the only goal of basketball freedom. And how do those two mesh when they're watching the Eastern Conference get better by the day around them? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, you know, we talked, you talked about that, but. It's weird if you really think about it. You know, you got it. It doesn't really mesh. But when you think about it, um, you have a new coach here, a new coach who has nothing to lose. You have a, a general manager who's on the hot seat. Right. So it, it's going to be one of those things where, yes, you are James Harden's boy and, and you guys are, are really close. But when the trade comes. You know, if if you're not in line, you're going to be on the trade with, like, you know what I mean? Or or you may just not be on the team anymore. So it, it, it's one of those, like, because let's face it, James Harden has made over $300 million in basketball alone. These guys can't say the same thing. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we all had it. Sometimes, yeah, you may be loyal to someone and, and you're saying, that's my buddy and we're going to go down together. But then when it comes down to finances, you're not going to be insubordinate to support somebody. I mean, you're going to support them, but you're not going to do anything that's going to um, mess up your income, so to speak. So I, I feel like if they don't do that, I mean, we could see some of these guys being traded with them or no longer being on the team. Because let's face it, Nick Nurse is in is a bad situation to start with. But it's also a good situation in regards to, like, I'm the new coach. I have a contract here. This isn't my problem. You know, things have been said. I kept my mouth uh, shut. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to do it this way, my way, right? And, and I think that if people don't fall in line, they can see the highway. Talk about what the players are saying. I saw Daniel House say, uh, you know, last year it was more of two-man focus with Doc. Here, everybody's involved with the teammates. I keep telling Jeff I'm so tired of hearing about James Harden's demands and everything. I want to be excited for basketball. And the idea that Nick Nurse is here has me excited about seeing an actual basketball team play the game on the floor. What are you seeing out there with the types of, things that they're working on and what Nick Nurse is going to bring to this team that we haven't seen out of the Sixers offense in the last couple of years. I mean, the one thing that you just said, I, I think it's, it's going to be wide open. I mean, not extremely wide open. Like, let's face it, you know, Joel Embiid is still the best player. You know, Tyrese Maxey is still 
you know, a, a pretty good score when you get out in, in space. You know, Tobias Harris is, is always going to be an option. But but I feel like guys now, the difference is, like, guys feel like it's more of a team than what before it was. Now, the one thing is a lot of people do criticize Doc for that. But if we want to be honest, you know, going through Joel and and was the best option, right? It was just the best option. But I think that with Nick Nurse, we're going to see a lot of different things. We're going to see um, Paul Reed. You know, we, we talked about that before. Whereas, you know, Paul is going to get an opportunity to show what he can do besides just being a rebounder and and, and an energy guy at the, as a backup five. So, you know, right now I will say, you know, unfortunately in the NBA, they don't allow you to media to watch practices in their entirety, entirety like they used to. A lot of times when you come in, guys are shooting foul shots, right? But I will say that there's been a different type of energy, right? Um, and and guys have just seemed happy. I mean, you see dudes who um, before were like ended a bench guys who knew they weren't going to play. Now you see them, there's like a little bit of a pep in their step because now they know that they're getting an opportunity to show what they can do. You see, you're just talking about Paul Reed. Do you see Paul Reed staying as the backup five or do you see him somebody that becomes a starting four? You know, I, I, I think I think we, we could see that. I don't know if it's if it's going to happen, at least as of right now. But when I look at the backup, I, I, but I look more at Paul as being more of a utility type of a player, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like he if he doesn't start, um, I think he, he could start. I think he's good enough. Um, you just, I think that he may just have to you know, work on his outside shooting a little bit more to create some spacing for Joel, right? Because Nick wants some um, on the block. But the thing is, um, I I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be a a hybrid. He can do a lot of different things that they like. They're going to mix and match them in there with different people. You know, when I look at a guy like, uh, um, uh, what's the backup center they have? Uh, uh, Mo Bamba. Yeah, Mo Bamba. I had a brain cramp right now. No but when you look at Mo it's Bamba, the altitude, I, I was a Michigan Wolverine for a second. It's like, the, no, it's it's the altitude. Just, just, don't, so, just don't start singing the Mo Bamba song. That's all I have. Just blame uh, it on the altitude, <laughs> Keith. Okay. But when you but when you look at Mo Bamba, right? You know, you look at him and you say, if everything works out, he would be better suited to be the backup center. I mean, he's he's a seven footer. You know, what I mean, he's an elite rim rim protector, right? Is that when and he can step out and he can hit the three. So you know, what I mean, it's one of those things where you know Mobamba has the tools to. Whereas, do you really want to waste that on a bench now again? And Nick is saying that he wants all three of them to play together, not as a group of three of them, but he wants. Let's just say, if Joel's at the five, then he wants to see. Mo Bamba sometimes come in at the four, so they can have the Twin Towers. Or you can have Paul Reed and Mo Bamba playing together, or Paul Reed and Joel. So to me, Reed is the one that's uh, best suited to slide down to the floor in certain lineups. So I, I don't see him as just the backup, backup five, but I think that he'll have to show and prove what he can do before he can just etch his – his thing in there as the starting forward up. So we've talked some about Harden. We've talked some about the team. 
Jeff briefly mentioned the moves in the East. You you wrote after the Drew Holiday trade, I think your your piece said, so the Sixers head into the season with dysfunction while the Bucks and Celtics have revamped rosters. Can you talk about the arms race going on in the East and how much more challenging, if you think it's challenging, the competition got with these Dame Lillard going to the Bucks, Drew Holiday coming to Boston? I mean, I think it's extremely tough. I mean, I think... Hate to say it, man. I, I think the Sixers championship window has closed. I mean, you know, I know it's still early, you know, and people are like going to say that, but I think it has because when you look at it right now in the Sixers, we don't know who the Sixers are. Like we're, we're sitting here, we're asking, people are asking me, do you think, do, do you think Paul Reed could start or is he going to be the backup, backup center? Right. And, and that's a legitimate question. These other teams, they know who their guys are going to be. And they all got better. And, it, you know, uh, you know, Drew Holiday is going to be a, a huge addition. Um, some people may argue he may be a better fit than Marcus Smart just because of the personality he has, right? Um, and you look at the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but the thing is, we talk about the arms race. The one team that a lot of people aren't talking about is the New York Knicks revamped themselves during the, during the uh, free agency and during the draft. So I don't know where how far they have rose in the pecking order, but at the same time, you did see them making major moves. And the Sixers, you know, they they hope that they have another move left in them. The question is, who are they going to be able to get? I don't see a lot of legitimate point guards out there that could help them get what they need if they replace James. Now, maybe you can go get Malcolm Brogdon, try to get him, but at the same time, I don't see for the value that teams are valuing James right now, that the Sixers could go out there and get that type of guy that they need. So with that being said, you know, you look at it, everybody says, yo, they were four minutes away from getting making it to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Yes, that is true. But at the same time, these other teams got better. And the Sixers, they, they basically um, – don't have the same bench anymore. So I guess I, I do think that the arms race kind of hurt the Sixers. Yeah. Look, the Sixers were four minutes away. If people want to argue that the, the problem, the re- in my opinion, the reason that they didn't get those four minutes was James Harden. So if he comes back, unless there's somebody somewhere that can convince him that basketball freedom ain't the way, unless somebody can convince him that he has to buy in to team and want the ring, nothing changes here. In the meantime, you look at what the Celtics, you know, at first everybody was like, oh my God, look what look what the Bucs did. They got Dame Lillard. In my mind, I don't know how the Bucs got that much better by getting Lillard and getting rid of Holiday. And then the Blazers go around and flip Holiday to the Celtics. So the Celtics now have a starting group that includes Holiday, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis. Like, how do the Sixers compete with that? And and, and by the way, how did they not include some sort of clause? I don't know if it, it happens very often, but I don't know how the Bucks didn't include some sort of clause that said you can't train Holiday to certain teams. Yeah, I, that was crazy, right? I mean, I mean, first of all, the Bucks kind of—you can argue the Bucks kind of did Holiday dirty. 
you know, Holiday, the day before he was traded, was talking about he wanted to sign the extension. He wanted to right? be in Milwaukee So, like, forever. how are you going to get rid of this dude <laughs> and then say you can't go to certain teams? Like, I mean, you basically, you know, I mean, and, you know, you basically said, I'm going to go get an all-star Dane, a lethal scorer to replace you, so you can't say it. In regards to the Sixers competing, I think they're going to have a tough time. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's, it is also, you can argue that getting rid of Robert Williams may hurt him, right? They may, they they got rid of some other people that, that could hurt him. I, I like Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, the funny thing is Malcolm Brogdon was, was the sixth man of the year, and then you lost him. So, you know, I, I think that on paper, the Celtics are good. But if there are some questions, it is going to be their bench. Do I think the Celtics are better than the Sixers? Yes. Uh, but I, I do. I just think that their star players will have to play a lot of minutes. And and the thing about it is, you're right. The Boston Celtics, um, that was a great trade for them to get Drew. It's like you wonder why didn't they do the three-team trade earlier. But uh, Portland got a lot back in return, though. Portland got a lot back in return. And, and they're probably still going to get more when they move some of the guys they got now. Portland's yep. done yep. all right. Meanwhile, so this is my concern. You've got this arms race with all these other teams doing well. And I know that we have Daryl Morey and other professionals here. But my owner is in a box in D.C. or fighting over an arena in an area that half the people at least don't want it. Um, can you talk to me about the distractions around this team right now? That I mean, that's what I call the arena fight because it's not just like, oh, one person saying something. Now, like the Wells Fargo Twitter account is actively putting out fact checks of the things that the Sixers are saying. It's it's like fifth grade stuff. Can you talk about what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a, you know, it, it, a distraction is, is, is a good way to say it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you try not to pay attention to it, right? Um, you have to pay attention to it because it's your job. But it's, it's like it's like billionaire battles, you know? I mean, to me, it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't really impact any of us. It doesn't. I mean, you know, as much as people say, like, let's keep it real. As much as people say they don't want to go downtown to watch games, and they don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They're going to go downtown to watch the games. They they are. They just are, right? Um, but is 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 one of these things where it, it it turned into okay. They want to build an arena. The people say no. Okay, well then, then it's like the fact checking. Then it's like you know, um, feeling like people are coming out to get them. Talking about the Sixers. Um, it's. It, it just turned the life of his own. And, and, and it is not quite an, a distraction like James Harden because James Harden stuff is going to impact the team on the court right now. But it's just like the Hatfield and, and McCoys, so to speak. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it's, I, I just don't like it. I mean, I, I just don't. Because, again, it's billionaire battles. Yeah, and I, can't, day, I can't imagine that any of the players really give – Two hoots no, about whether or not because none of them will be here in a new. No, they're not going to be here. Like, right, and if Tyrese Maxey is is here at that point, 
it's going to be in a couple of years later, they're going to be like, hey, thank you, Tyrese. You know, he he ended his career as a sixer. You know, yeah, like nobody's going to argue this is the house that Tyrese Maxey built. Like no, nobody, nobody's going to care about it. It is a Jason's right. It's a, it's a constant distraction. But the, the overall theme is, is the Sixers are a constant distraction. When is the last time that you have gotten to go into training camp and just focus on the roster? Every year. Before Ben, you, you, before the you process. You have to deal with, and then we have to read about all of the distractions as opposed to a team coming into camp and being cohesive. You know what? That's a great question because I'm trying to figure it out and I can't. I think it's the process. I mean, since they, after they started the process, I mean, after the process concluded, you know, then it went to to the star hunting thing. And then that's when they, they couldn't get anyone and they were going to trade people for people. So guys were like, like Robert Covington, I was a little bit nervous. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had the, the Jimmy, but they pick up Jimmy Butler, they get Tobias and all that. And you feel like the team is going to be set. But then all of a sudden, certain people didn't want to play with Jimmy. Right. You you hear the situation about Jimmy blowing up at Brett Brown at practice. Right. Um, and, and Portland. And then from that point moving forward, it's been drama. I mean, it has. You know, like they went out there, they got rid of – I mean, they, they did a sign-and-trade with Jimmy. They bring in Al Horford. They bring in Josh Richardson. And um, since that point, it's just been drama. And, and you know, the thing about it is a lot of people will say, oh, man, it's great. It's great to cover that. It's great to cover that. But you would also love to cover a team like the Golden State Warriors, too. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, they have guys who, yes, I mean, I know Draymond, you know, hit the guy last year, messed him up. Um, minor, minor the detail. Michigan dude, right? <laughs> so the Michigan dude, go blue. Oh, go blue. All right. <laughs> go blue. <laughs> so, anyway, so, so anyway, so like, um, you know, so, but at the same time, for the most part, these are guys who, they don't have a lot of drama. Right. You know, they don't. And 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 but they win championships. So, yeah, while these stories are ongoing and people are interested in them, it's kind of like, you know, this is only going to lead to at best a second round ending in the playoffs. Right. And then not only that, let's be honest, y'all. They're the same story. It's the same story with just different subjects. Like it's the same thing. Like you knew that when Daryl Morey said that he was going to trade James Harden right, or he wanted to trade James Harden, he was going to work with him, you kind of figured that it wasn't going to happen, at least not into the season. Because it's the same thing that happened with with uh, with, with, with uh, Ben Simmons. It's the same thing that happened years ago with Nerlens Noel and, and Jalil Okafor. You know what I mean? So it's like, it gets a little tiring after a while for the fans and, and also for the people covering the team because it's like, oh, uh, I don't want to write the same story I wrote five years ago, so let me tweak this a little bit, you know? So it is what it is. All right. Well, I know you got to go because you got a team to cover before you come back east and you have to stop in Boulder and get some merch for a whole bunch of people. So you know, make sure everybody get your list, your shopping list to Keith before he comes back. Before you go, if if there was one sto- one positive story that you think will come out of this camp, 
not of one of the star players, but of one of the other players that you think is going to have a real impact on this team. Who's that person? What kind of story is it going to be? You know, his, I don't know how much of an impact he'll have, but but I think that um, I think from, you know, it's only been a couple of days and also throughout the summer. Um, I'm From what I'm hearing is that Jaden Springer is turning heads right now. Again, we're not saying Jaden Springer is going to be the sixth man or anything like that. But is but when you think of this defense and, and some of the things he can do, he could be a guy that they they look at um, and 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 have somewhere in the rotation. You know what I mean? Possibly. But the one dude is I think that um, Kelly Oubre, you know, he has a chance um, to do something special this season with the 76ers. You know, um, you know, he's a guy that who always been known for putting up big numbers. The problem is they question is people always wondered if he was comfortable with his role. Well, when you start getting these minimum salaries, sometimes you have to change your thinking unless you want to A, continue to get minimum salaries or be out of the league. So I look at him as an addition, possibly off the bench, you know, as a sixth man, seventh man. And I think that he can do 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 wonders for him. I think he could have a big role for him this season. Well, that's a good way to close it. Some some positive things. My my son will be thrilled that you think Jaden Springer will get run so that I can get him a jersey with his name on the back of it now. As opposed to a blue coat, Keith, blue coat jersey. Yeah, Keith Pompey, safe travels back. Hope you're able to find all your merch. Uh, follow Keith at Pompey on Sixers, Locked on Sixers podcast. You got you got all your podcasts and everything out there, right, Keith? Yeah, yeah, it's out there. Every, it's out there. It's out there. Hey, I just want to, before I go, what's up with Rutgers? Look, they they play Wisconsin this week. Other than Michigan, which always happens, they don't have a bad team. Uh, so we'll see. But playing better than they have. I got a question for you, though. I know I got to let you go. Um, is it customary for Giants players to take on your fans and turn instead of like the opposing team? Like, is it the fans' fault that there were eleven sacks that Evan Neal's going after them? The Giants, the Giants can't take on the other team, so we they yeah, decided we're going to start taking on the fans. <laughs> take on the fans. I, I don't know. I, I'd rather be uh, a New York Giant fan taking on a fan than a Rucker player about to get whooped by Wisconsin. I so just want to point out day. you compared your <laughs> professional football team fandom to my college fandom, as opposed to the Eagles. We'll let that go. Keep on pace. Safe travels back, man. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, fellas. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports. Jeff, uh, we always like these types of stories. Let's bring on Dean Tolson, former NBA player, motivational speaker, and author of the new book, Power Forward, My Journey from Illiterate NBA Player to a Magna Cum Laude Master's Degree. Dean, congratulations on this book, which sounds like a very long journey for you. 40 years, 40 years to be exact. So after 40 years now, how does it feel after struggling with illiteracy for so much of your life to be introduced when you do interviews as author of a book? 
Well, let me say that I never dreamed of being here right now with all this. It's a shock, but it, it, it took it took so long and so much effort that it's been worth it every step of the way to get here and be able to share this with people where they can benefit from this. That's what you did it for. Well, of course, I did it for me, too, my legacy. But I want people to benefit from it. So, you know, we, we, t- we talk to athletes all the time about their legacies, about the things that they do off the court and how important those things are versus what they do on the court, on the field, on the diamond, whatever sport it is. Mm-hmm. The, the, the legacy, obviously, you were an NBA and an ABA basketball player. But but the legacy is overcoming something that a lot of people don't get to overcome. What was it about you and what was it about your experience and your history that led you to overcome something that so many other people aren't able to? One word. Failure. After playing at the highest level and at every level throughout your career, high school, college, NBA, and 12 years internationally, at 32 years old, I realized I had failed. That was my my driving force. I mean, you go to somewhere and ask for a job, and you tell them you played in the NBA, you don't have any skills or on-the-job training for them to, to hire you. And so what you do is, to, to offset that, you um, figure out how to go back to school and figure out um, how you can survive in, in this society with, pe- you know, interacting with people. You know, you, you talk about failure as a motivator. And, mm-hmm. and for some people, they might not understand that because they see the success you had as a professional. But if you take it back steps further, you were kind of passed on because of the talent you had on the court, not Mm -hmm. the skills you showed or learned in the classroom. So can you talk about how you came, came to grips with that process that passed you along to be able to engage and go back to school yourself? I got one more word for that. It's called painful. (laughs) how so well imagine being illiterate at 32 years old and going back to a division one university and having a a a concentrated uh effort of studying every night of something that you know absolutely nothing about and you have to figure it all out and start from the bottom and wait, work your way up for the next four years until the day you graduate. You can't even fathom the thought, let alone do it, if you're illiterate. You know, what made you decide to go back to the same university? Uh, you, you can make the argument, and we've heard this with a lot of athletes, you can make the argument that the system failed you. And yet, and and. It, and I would argue that they did fail you, that, that, that they and and you chose to go back to that same university. What led you to that decision? Um, Dean Tolson is the leading 
rebounder and the second leading scorer in the history of the University of Arkansas. 1871. I'm the guy. Hmm. Still got the legacy there. And I want to go back to that university and clean up that mess that I made there. And I cleaned it up in the biggest way possible to a master's degree magnum cum laude. You know, you talk about reshaping your legacy. Uh, Frank Broyles, who was the athletic director, uh, seemed to play a very prominent role for you. That comes through in the book. Can you talk about his influence and his important role in helping you to get where you were? Well, you know, he approached me. And he says, Dean, you know, you was one of those type of players. You know, you, you, you probably was the best basketball player that ever played here at the University of Arkansas. And it, it, it's just amazing that people, they don't know you. They know of you, but they don't know you. And I says, well, coach, what are you saying? He said, I, I, I want you to consider going back to this university and overcome the literacy and getting your degree, and we'll pay for it until the day you graduate. And that's how he approached me. And he says, nobody got more rebounds than you. And he said, your legacy is a waste. You're wasting it if you don't overcome this what happened to you in your life, then after you overcome it, I'm asking you to take it out of society and give it back to the people. Would you promise me to do that? And I said, sure, coach, you got my solemn promise. I will do the best I can do to graduate and take this back out to the community and the children in America. And that's what I'm doing. All right. Can we also just talk a little bit about basketball? Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. just, just, right. a, just, just a little bit because uh, uh Dean Tolson <laughs> learned or was motivated to play basketball by Wilt Chamberlain mm -hmm. and, and got the chance to play with Bill Russell mm -hmm. and was a, the leading rebounder of a major basketball program university. The art of rebounding, it uh -huh. seems like it's lost now. Yeah. Well, there's not many Dennis Rodman's left around. And I used to average 30 points a game and 20 rebounds a game. My senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, I averaged 30 and 20. And nobody was putting up those type of numbers in those years, except for <laughs> Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. And that's where I got the philosophy for us from them. I'm trying to get some nights I, I would grab 30 rebounds in Arkansas in a game. And that was unheard of. And though I knew that those numbers would get me drafted, but I thought I would go higher in the draft than I did averaging 22.5 points a game and 13.2 rebounds a game. Bobby Portis is the only player that came close to me. So you get to the NBA with all this talent and, and everything you've done and it's overcoming more adversity because you and, and Coach Russell didn't really see eye to eye. I, I think the quote I about saw the was, philosophy of the game. 
yeah, right. you wanted more of a fast break offense to run, and and he wanted something different. I think you said he was the toughest man to work for in show business. Can you talk yeah. about the the experience there? Oh man, Bill Russell had an ego bigger than God. Okay, he says I got eleven NBA championships, and you ain't got one. You need to listen, or go sit down and shut up. Did you listen? No. <laughs> Do you that, wish you had? That's, that's why I scored 12 points in 60 seconds in an NBA game, and no other man in the history of the NBA has done that but Dean Tolson. But then he didn't play you. Like you would, you would have those moments and those spurts, and then you wouldn't get the playing time afterwards. How challenging was that for you? That Every moment was that way. If he played me five minutes, I had five points. If he played me 10 minutes, I had 10 points. If he played me 15 minutes, I had 15 points. If he played me 20 minutes, I had 20 points. And he never let me play beyond 20 points because I would have hit 50 and 60 on people. So talk about the journey. You know, you when you left college, you were reading at a fifth grade level. Mm-hmm. And you, you go through these challenges as a basketball player and then... You find out the NBA isn't where you're going to be, and you're you're traveling the world. I, I think the it, you were the international basketball vag, vagabond is what I what I saw Inter- you called. Let me help you out with that. It's called the international vagabond basketball bandit. There you go. Okay, I, I and a guy in the CBA by the name of Jim Drucker coined me with that phrase because I was just going all over the world trying to find money so I can pay my way through life with houses and cars and lifestyle and, you know, money and help my mom out at every chance I got and that sort of thing. In in traveling the world, Mm -hmm. what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about basketball? I learned that people are universal in the world. And you don't have to speak their language. You don't have to know their name. You get off the plane. They never see you before. They welcome you into their country. They take you right off the plane and take you to get something to eat. They give you a place to sleep. They pay you for a basketball contract. And they're very kind to you and hospitable because they love the game of basketball. I mean, love, not like. Mm-hmm. They love it. When I played in the Philippines, we packed the house every night with 30,000 people, Filipino people. It's the same place that Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier in the Thriller in Manila. <laughs> we packed the house every night. What, what was that like for you to get all of these worldly experiences traveling the globe, but at the same time being frustrated by the fact you were held back by your challenges reading. I call it forgiveness. I had to forgive the system that we live by. Okay. And keep powering forward until I see this day to share it with people so they can understand the benefit of it that it takes to be succeed and be successful in their lives. 
I'm the prime example for kids and what we need today in America. So yeah, you you probably run across kids, teenagers all the time who think that their way out of difficult situations is through sport. Mm-hmm. And while while it is for a such a small number of people in, in our country, mm-hmm. is it hard for you to get across to some of those kids how important education, how important literacy, how important it, improving your mind is? even if you do have the physical gifts? I've done over 300 speeches in 40 years to high schools and colleges and universities across the country. I even done one at the University of Arkansas. And when I did the one at the University of Arkansas, I had did a a speech at the middle school uh, called um, Harrison Middle School in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And there was a, a little white kid there at that speaking engagement that day that heard my speech and I talked to 1500 kids that day. And so when uh, Coach Moore of the University of Arkansas invited me in to speak to his basketball team, after I've done the speech for the basketball team, that kid that was in the seventh grade at that time stood up and said, I heard the Dean Tulsa speech when I was in Harris Middle School, and I heard what he said, and now I have the highest GPA on this basketball team of a 3.9 because I heard what he said in his story about how he told his tale about being illiterate and overcoming illiteracy and graduating from college and then going back and getting a master's. And he says, I'll never forget that my entire life. What does that mean to you? You put so much effort into this, not just from becoming a professional to becoming the man you are, the education you have, and now you are influencing people who actively will come up to you and tell you, that they are successful and in the positions they are because of the work you helped them do, because of the words that you shared. What does that mean to you? Well, let's take it all the way back to when I was a child, right? Nobody ever sold education as a benefit to me. It was always sold as a myth to me. So I never saw any value in it. Why am I sitting there and my head is hurting, my eyeballs are rolling out of my head, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I got all this talent. I'm better than the rest of these guys. I can score 30 points a game and 20 rebounds a game against anybody, and I want an opportunity to do that where I don't have to do this stupid crap every day. It was stupid to me as a child. All the kids are studying, and I'm sitting there disrupting the class all day long where I get sent to the principal's office and get a paddle on the butt for it. That was Dean Tolson making the teacher cry. (laughs) But now the legacy of Dean Tolson is the man who went back and accomplished these degrees and is the motivational speaker and not got all those things for himself, but has now used that platform to influence others. That's often what the part that's missing with people. You know, we do things for ourselves in society, but you've kind of taken it a step further to give back so that people don't have those struggles you've had. 
Uh, it, 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 it's called a calling. See, when Frank asked me to do that, after he said, I gave it to you. Now, you succeeded. Now, you take it and give it back to them. Well, see, that's a calling because Frank was a racist and he became a born-again Christian, and he told me that. And he said, that's why I'm helping you. So you can give it back to the people in America. They need this so badly because they don't understand what you understood about this. For some reason, you understood it, Dean. They don't. And there's millions and millions of kids across this country that would never understand this if you don't get something in front of them. You know, Dean, you 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 are a pioneer in in, in pushing this and, and making this an issue and going to high schools and going to colleges. When you see people like LeBron James, who, while he himself did not go to college, is so is so influential in, in younger minds and telling them to go to school. When you see somebody like Jawan Howard who left Michigan early and yet insisted on making sure that he sat on a bus studying and made sure to get his college degree, does it make you proud to see that there there are so many people who are now following your footsteps, even though they may not have, have struggled with, with literacy? that are making education important and and giving that message to the communities they came from. Yes, I I applaud them, their efforts. But I think we're talking about something that's a little deeper in this. We're, We're not just talking education. We're talking underprivileged kids, poverty kids, kids that are at risk, kids that have learning deficiencies and medical issues and going to school hungry and, you know, that underscores the entire problem, not just learning to read and write. If you read the book, you'll see all of the adversity I overcame. Is that right? When you read that book. Well, tell me how these kids understand how to overcome that type of adversity in their life. They don't know. No, we we talk about that regularly in terms of, you know, when you talk about with NIL and the transfer portal and people moving around, you know, a coach tells a player to sit on the bench and learn. And the next thing they know, they're transferring to another school. So, you know, it's it's. I don't know how you make somebody experience that adversity um, to learn from that failure like you're talking about. Well, how did I do it? They have to read your book to find that out. People can can learn more at deantolson.com. And the book is The Power Forward, My Journey from a Literate NBA Player to a Magna Cum Laude Master's Degree. We're talking about motivation and inspiration. It's a great way. I got a a thing called the 50-50 rule. You know what the 50-50 rule is? Tell me. We're about to find out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give you the 50-50 rule in education. The system is designed from 
one-year-old to 18-year-old to provide a free education, public education for you as a student. So they did a 50% set up that way. School levy, property taxes, whatever pays for that. Okay. Now, the other 50% is on you. Okay. To apply and commit yourself. He just asked me how we gonna do that. Well, if you don't commit and you're not 100% in and you lukewarm and all that, <laughs> it ain't gonna work out. Well, Dean Tolson, thank you. You to be committed. Thank you so much for being 100% in and the lives. Yeah, the, I'm 100% in for these kids. That's who I'm 100% in for. Well, we look forward to continuing following what you're doing, and we wish you the best of luck with the book. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much as well. I enjoyed both of your commentary. Dean Tolson is an inspiration, and, and quite frankly, he's the example of why um, it's never too late. No, nah, not at all. And I mean, the journey that he had, and, and we've talked about adversity on this show. I don't think people necessarily face the adversity as much as Dean Tolson did in his life, and it comes through in the book. So encourage people to get it. Enjoy the conversation with Keith Pompey. Jeff, ready for the NLDS? Go Phillies. Go Phillies. Red Thanks October. so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.